Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uesa. How are you doing, Mark? Weathering this uh, heat wave in Vancouver? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, nighttime, so it's finally cooled down. You know, Vancouverites, is uh, we complain and complain that we never uh, have any sun, nothing but rain. And then once we get sun, uh, we can't complain enough. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, I'll take more of that rain, thanks. I, I am very lucky that my game room is in the basement, which is the coolest room in the house. So all the more reason to, to spend some time there. Yeah, I'm in the basement too. I got my cats with me, and uh, it's it's. I think it's the coolest room in the house as well. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, from playing games, what what have you been? Uh, what's been on your table lately? Yeah, actually, uh, probably a decent amount of things, but mostly on the video game side. I think I'm going to hang up my board game <laughs> specialist hat. I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to be the video game specialist. And on that front. I got a Steam Deck, which I'm very excited about. Very nice. I'm not going to give a full review of that just yet. Suffice it to say, I've been messing around a lot, surprised at what the thing can do, especially like non-official things. I'm not talking only about emulation and things like that, although I do believe emulation is a right, especially if you've owned those games in the past. I'm talking about things like getting your GOG library or your Epic oh. Games library <laughs> on the device. Nice and the least of which, um, itch.io. Basically, it runs a surprising amount of things. Excellent. What, so what did you go to first? What was the, what was the, the test game that you, you went to first, booted up and tested out? Yeah, I think the test game was um, inspired by my oldest kid, who is a big fan of Satisfactory, which I've talked about oh, yes. in the past. <laughs> Satisfactory is, is um, you know, immersive kind of 3D game. It's, it's big in scope, like you, you've got a whole continent you're dealing with. And it runs, but I think it was a bad choice to start off because it's just not well suited towards the console's t- type controls. Mm, that's fair. And yeah. that's not a big surprise. I'm not a fool to think that this device can play anything just because it can run these things. I know that some games are just better suited on the full desktop setup. Thankfully, I can always connect a USB hub to a monitor and run it as a full-size computer. So. My oldest and I can play cooperatively uh, because now I have two copies. Excellent. Yeah, I guess some games just require a little more micromanagement. Oh, yeah, like all about the hotkeys, right? (laughs) Despite the fact that the Steam Deck has every every button that a 360 remote has, it also has four more back tabs. Oh, wow. uh, Buttons on the rear, which are programmable, and two front touch panels. Uh, sort of like the PS4, but one on each side. Um, you know, I've only just dipped my toes into what the thing can do. So, yeah, exciting. Uh, but that said, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, play a big, big, intensive uh, sim-style game or, you know, like certainly not an RTS like Age of Empires, really. Although I did install it because <laughs> I like to mess around. Excellent. Well, we'll have to keep this posted on the uh, Steam Deck Life. Yeah, thank you. I will. I'll give Steam Deck (laughs) reports in the future. I'll keep it short, I promise. And uh, how about yourself? What have you been playing? Uh, I have been playing a game here. Let me check my notes. It is called 
Paw Patrol the movie Adventure City Calls. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep this one pretty short. I basically it's been playing that with my daughter. She happened to see that on the Game Pass list, and I want the puppies. I want the puppies. So uh, that's been our, our go-to sort of afternoon, like playing it in the afternoon between getting home and, and, and bedtime. So playing a little bit of that. Uh, not much of a game, I'll say. Even by kids' game standards, it is very bare bones uh so that said the better uh but uh in more serious gaming time myself i've been playing uh citizen sleeper which i think you've also been poking at and i i don't want to discuss that one too much because i think we might be talking a little bit more about that at some point but I bounced right off of that into yet another uh, dystopian anti-capitalism sci-fi game with Hard Space Shipbreaker that run recently uh, came out of early access and straight onto Game Pass. So I was excited to dive into that. It's basically uh, it's a first-person game. You're playing a a, a spaceship salvager, and you're going you're, you're like you're floating around zero gravity in this like open it's like an open space docking bay uh you have like a cutting tool and you have like a grav gun and you're basically pulling the sh- ship apart bit by bit and there are some hazards to watch out for it gradually ramps up the the, the difficulty in some of the ships like you have to do some things in certain orders but it's largely very chill just um cut cut this panel off throw that into the right type of uh space recycling bin cut uh pull this computer terminal out throw that one into the right bin uh so it's it's pretty pretty um sort of relaxing nice little podcast game got some cool sort of western like like, it's a very firefly style music (laughs) so uh, i'm enjoying that and it's just started filtering in some uh, some little story beats i've heard that the story is quite good it's very much based around sort of unionization and anti-corporate uh stuff which uh very much on board with so um uh, i'm looking forward to d- digging more into that yeah that's all music to my ears uh i actually am a supporter of this studio because i bought this game months ago maybe even a year ago in uh, early access still is in early access i get guess but before it hit uh, game pass oh i think it might be a local studio too now that i think of it oh very nice but i I sort of bounced off of that after probably just like a couple of hours because you know it's very early and you know i fully expect that early access games are just going to be like that so it's been a number of months i'm very eager to try it back out again Excellent. Yeah, so I'm just looking this up here now. Uh, developer Blackbird Initiative. They are based in Vancouver. So all the more reason to, to play that game. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> it feels like there have been quite a few um, games coming out of here uh, lately. I mean, we've, we've already covered a few of them with uh, Backbone and... What was the other one? Oh, uh, Long, Long Dark. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's another game I could mention, which is another sci-fi dystopian that I played recently, which is also made by a local uh, company called Oxygen Not Included. Oh, yes. I think uh, you like them as well. uh, Clay Entertainment. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they they do fantastic stuff. I like, uh, what's the other one? Don't Starve a lot. And Oxygen Not Included is great. It's sort of an old obsession of mine. I played it to death. Several months or if not years ago uh, sort of had became a problem it's one of those like <laughs> games that you just want to keep playing for into the wee hours of the night 
and it was habit forming because it's just so fascinating. It's another systems based game. There's not a, a narrative, so to speak, but there is a, so much character to this game. It's lovingly illustrated in this uh, cutesy but really efficient style. It it gets down into the minutia of how to basically operate a what I like to call a human at farm <laughs> because it's, it's 2D. <laughs> side scrolling and uh, you're essentially running several human lackeys and you're you're not playing any one of them you're just giving them directions and helping them survive or die miserably in the cold or or asphyxiating depths of an asteroid just trying to eke by on uh, grubs and um, mealworms and whatever they uh, whatever water they can lick off the side of the cave wall it's (laughs) It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So it's got this fantastic dark sense of humor and fascinating systems, which I just love to bits. Yeah, I've, I've seen a bit of that one, and it keep meaning to tr- keep meaning to try it. I, I mean, I love the art style. It's this, it's the classic clay art style, very similar to to, to Don't Starve, uh, and the that that sense of humor. I, I have had concerns that it, it seems a little bit too much focus on real time micromanagement. A little bit anxiety-inducing, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to sit well with me. So I'll be mean to to try, like, try it out or on a um, trial or something. It's been really fascinating playing that on the Steam Deck, and that's primarily why I got back into it. Is it? It's one of those games that you think would never work on a small device like that, but with the touch panels and I guess my like built-in familiarity with the systems, it actually really works. And your best friend is going to become the pause button (laughs) in that game. Basically, there's a slow, medium, and fast speed. And you can toggle between them at any time. And your pause button is there when you want to kind of set up all of the priorities and the tasks. And it's kind of like like one of those Bioware, like real-time turn-based slash Uh, combat systems where, you know, you can pause whenever you want to and get as in-depth and, and tactical as you want and then you press play and just let it uh play out it's it's, it's okay. fantastic as long as that's an option i mean i think it's i think it's Stellaris or something similar where you you can still uh manipulate things while the game's pause and then speed it up and slow it down as you wish and i i generally have the game paused and or in slow 99 percent of the time because i just i, I don't feel like I don't like the feeling of, of missing things, basically. But if that's the option, uh, I'd be more inclined to check it out. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you could just turn it to fast forward while the your little Sims are uh, in their sleep uh, period. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh, one other game I'll quickly mention uh, I've been checking out. I think, I think you may have mentioned this previously, but I've been playing Denkenrumpa. Uh, I believe the full title is Trigger Happy Havoc. It's also a remastered edition. So I'm not, and the, the naming convention of this series is very confusing. But this is basically the the, the first the original Denkenrumpa game, originally on Vita, now on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> Throw another coin in the bucket. Essentially, it's a it's more of a visual novel than I was expecting. I knew it was like a murder mystery game, but it's, it's very much a, a visual novel. Basically, this tra- um, clicking through conversations uh very much high concept <laughs> as, as a lot of these games are you're trapped in a school with what 15 students and you're being forced to kill each other uh without going into too much detail there and solving solving the mysteries that, that come up as as you are ine- inevitably killed off one by one 
I'm a little surprised how thirsty this game is. It is very lewd. Um, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't be too surprised, I guess, but it's especially for a game based on school students, there is a lot of uh, suggestive comments. Uh, some problematic issues around sort of mental health and even transphobia that didn't I didn't love it. It is an older game. I mean, there's not, not really much excuse for that, but it hasn't dated well, put it that way. I, I am enjoying it. Like all the characters, it's very, they're all very strong characters, a lot of, you know, classic stereotype and anime stereotypes. But it is a little too linear, too, for what I was wanting, because you have these murder mysteries, but you're not really encouraged to actually solve them. The game kind of holds your hand going through these procedures as as the the, the cases sort of laid out for you and there's, there's, topic, there's typically like new information revealed in the middle of the sort of murder trial so that that means you couldn't have guessed it yourself regardless then the trial is played out with a bunch of mini games like just countering particular arguments uh which which is it's a very novel idea the logic doesn't always line up in a in a particularly um intuitive way though but I, i'm enjoying my time it's a, it's a good sort of sit on the couch and and click through conversations for an hour before bed, basically. <laughs> yeah, I completed Danganronpa on Vita. Um, I have fond memories of playing it back then. That said, my memory is a bit hazy, but you're right, it, it does have strong visual novel elements. It's essentially, it's, it's like Phoenix Wright, you know, Ace Attorney meets uh, visual novel meets dating simulator, essentially. <laughs> and the strongest points of replayability actually come through the sort of social links yeah that you can do sort of in between the essentially the 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 game is broken down into cases um chapters a lot like ace attorney and that can vary a lot between the play times Uh, i i actually haven't played it repeatedly but i could see how that would give you um you know a completionist uh, an opportunity to replay the game and build up those relationships, especially with the gift giving mechanism. Mm. It's a, a tried and true component of <laughs> uh, dating sims or Japanese dating sims, certainly. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Persona with the uh, the relationship mechanics and that. And it's an interesting concept, but it, it feels a little undersold here. Like there's all these mechanisms for do, for doing these relationships in the game, but they're very underutilized for how much is in there. And the game is way too long to really warrant another playthrough, at least for me, but I'll, I'll see it through at least once. And just, that'll be my, that'll be my game. But we, we were discussing just earlier on, I think there was as a new version came out. It's a spin-off game based on one of the sequels came out on switch last year but just hit android last month it's like a an, a, a board game version uh so I'm, I'm, it's based on a mini game from one of, from one of the the previous titles so i i'm curious to check that out and see how that works it looks sort of a bit mario party ish or something maybe <laughs> it's a it's a wacky world that they've set up and and certainly they it's a popular one because they have uh anime they have dengarampa 2 they have a full-on game spinoff uh, i think based on one of the characters from danganronpa 2 uh, something some desperation girls or something like that <laughs> um I, I don't remember I Very anime. but uh yeah this new board game version is news to me and um uh something you know i'd like to take for a spin probably excellent yeah well uh, I, I mean I may, I may pick up the sequels i'll see how, how long it takes me to get through this but we can 
discuss that in coming months. So have, have you played any board games at all? <laughs> um, Other just than what t- we'll be talking about shortly? <laughs> yeah, just the typical fare on board game arena. You know, I still play that regularly. I've been enjoying games of tapestry I've been playing. That game is a fascinating, fascinating puzzle. I, I, I wouldn't say it's like a masterpiece or anything, but I, I enjoy fiddling with it, you know? Yeah, there is some, there is an immediate joy in, in 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 the mechanics of it moment to moment. As a whole, I don't think it really fits together. But I've sort of revisited it a few times, had fun with it for a couple of games, and then realized, oh wait, no, I don't like this at all. Um, but it, it's 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 fun just to see the loop a couple of times. Put that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's sort of like a like a Rube Goldberg machine as opposed to yes. you know like yeah. a elegant game engine like um you know scythe is much more uh, streamlined i think yes for sure yeah i mean i've not played a lot to be honest we've been it's been tough to to schedule anything between illness and heat wave and everything uh one game i have been playing a little bit of is clinic uh this is based on i think it came out it was 2014 or thereabouts the original version and a few years ago they came out with a sort of deluxe remastered edition and this is a huge, uh, complicated game. It's what, what I can't remember the exact complexity ratings, but I think it might be the, the highest complexity game in my collection. It reminds me a lot of what, um, of, of like Vlada, Travato's uh, games. Very, very thematic, but a lot of moving pieces. Sim- simple rules, but a lot of like sort of sandbox games, a lot of um, possibilities that, that sort of blow your options wide open. And this is basically. I don't know if you ever played any of the uh, sim games, like uh, in this theme park and theme hospital specifically, or two point hospital. It's one I've played, and this is basically emulating that. You're managing a hospital, but you're actually building out the physical space of that hospital. The specific you're building out r- room by room, staff member by staff member, and then running it to try and and treat tra- patients. And I'm having a lot of fun so far. That's cool. Yeah, the only game in sort of sort of related to that I'm thinking of is is another board game called uh, Dice Hospital, mm. which I think is pretty fun. It's it's a it's a real brain burn uh, that one. I mean, you can build out rooms, but the the adjacency doesn't really matter. It's more sort of like um, it's a optimization puzzle, right? Yeah, I mean, this isn't. I guess optimization is certainly a thing here. Uh, it's more the, the the placement rules. There are so many rules that how you can place things. Like the actual options at any given moment are huge, but the restrictions laid on top of that make it. it it's, it's very much a puzzle to how you're going to get things onto the board in the first place. Then that alone fill, fill up with patients and doctors. And I, I, there isn't a huge amount of replayability in the base game. I don't think you, you, I can see there being a. You, you find the optimal way of laying out your hospital and then just running that simulation. There's not a huge amount of variety moment to moment. Uh, even even with multiplayer, like there's not much interaction. But there is a huge number of expansions that I'm keen to try that add on. Like each it's like four or five expansion boxes, and each of those have like a dozen modules that you can sort of mix and match. Uh, and those look to shake things up quite a bit. So I'm I'm curious to, to check that out. Very cool. Um, I'm going to mention a quickly a couple more um, PC games that I tried out on Steam Deck, um, although they're, of course, available uh, otherwise as well, just on PC. Uh, One I tried out for a decent number of hours now is called Sparklight. It's actually a retail title that I bought, I think, 
I don't know, on one of the game deals sites just because it was on sale and looked interesting. And it's it definitely paid off. It, it's basically, if you imagine, if you will, Rogue Light Zelda. Hmm. So very cutesy style. It's kind of a th- steampunk-ish with very cartoony, very lush, pixelated graphics. And, and everything just looks fantastic. The, the gameplay is tight. Basically, uh, after the tutorial mission, you're just set loose in this very much zone-based 2D overhead map, like the OG Zelda. But what you do is you, from every monster you defeat, you collect these gems, very much like the rupees you would collect in Zelda. And when you die, you're sent back to this you know, hovercraft uh, flying uh, ship sort of thing where your companions are. And you can unlock these new kind of expansion cards. They're called badges, I think. And you sort of have this matrix of upgrades that you can unlock. And it's got a high degree of customization. Unlike Zelda, the areas are sort of defined, as in here's the grassy land and here's the dry forest or whatever. But the arrangement of those rooms essentially is randomized each time. So you really do get a great variety. It's a total grind, but you just get better and better as you unlock these new abilities with new tools. And it's even got a degree of Metroidvania, which, you know, I like a great deal. So it's really hitting a nerve for me in a good way. Uh, A lot like an older game I really enjoy called Rogue Legacy, but not nearly as punishing in terms of... (laughs) action or the timing this is much more chill and relaxed and just kind of meditative and i'm liking that a lot excellent i mean i'm just looking at uh, some images now it, it reminds me a little bit of um, moonlighter i'm not sure if you ever played that that i have played moonlighter actually and it's very similar to moonlighter i would say moonlighter is a lot more dungeon based mm. it's got a little difference in the sense that you're you're the guy running a shop in moonlighter right you craft a lot you create a lot of wares and you're sort of building up the town that much it shares with sparklight you you build up this town your airship is sort of your town and you collect these followers and they run their own shops but that much that one is much more relaxed uh sparklight is a lot more relaxed and even less um action e than yeah i think that's what i'd want anyway to be honest um Moonlighter was a bit too much micromanagement in the shop side, and the combat side w- was a little too difficult. The combat just wasn't particularly uh, rewarding. But not to, not to get caught up on that comparison. Uh, it, it does look cute. It's a very similar art style and uh, very SNES-style graphics, I guess. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, that one I'm enjoying quite a bit, and I will continue playing. And then lastly, uh, a game that I played through to the end was a, a demo of a game that I've been interesting interested in it's a japanese pc game but it's card based and it's called voice of cards and ostensibly this is a really dullish dishwater uh, <laughs> top-down rpg but in an interesting way in that the characters the world the map everything in this game is a card so even your main characters are cards and when they have cutscenes and talk to the queen or talk to uh, the townsfolk, the cards, you know, t- 
tilt 45 degrees to bow or they huh. jump up backwards or like the card, the 2d cards are animated in these cutesy ways. And all of the character, all the artwork is really lush, a little bit too gray, a little bit too beige for, for my taste. He's very but, monochromatic looking at some photos here now. Yeah. It's very sepia, but the art itself is very beautiful, uh, beautiful and uh, kind of a refined anime style. It's essentially a deck builder, but not nearly as in-depth as Slay the Spire. I thought it was going to be more like Slay the Spire or Rogue Book. But it has some charm in itself. That said, I would argue that the demo left me wanting a bit. It wasn't nearly as challenging to defeat the monsters. Basically, like my initial hand of cards was more than strong enough to defeat all the enemies like in one round of play. Hmm. So that, that part was unsatisfying, but the world traversal was interesting. There was even narrative stuff that was interesting. A whole town that you visit was made up of cards, including the people that you talk to (laughs) and interview to unravel this mystery. And there's a tavern very much like a lot of games, like, uh, Final Fantasy X or The Witcher, there's an in-world card game that they play. Oh, like no. <laughs> has become for, for The Witcher. Card and this, cards. this game it was super fun, actually. It's a really <laughs> smart... It's kind of like a Rummy-based game, actually. It's based off of just numbered cards of four different suits, but they add different effects based on how what type of pairs and sets that you make. Uh So like uh, sets of ones will have a power, sets of twos will have a power. And the powers are very much like love letter style. So you might want to play a higher value set because that's ultimately worth points to you. But you might want to play a lower value set because it has a more devious effect on the other players. So I found myself just going to the back to that tavern and playing a number of rounds of this in-world card game in this very short <laughs> demo because I, I thought that one just kind of really stood out and it could be a standalone game, I think. I hope they do bring it standalone. But um, I would definitely check that out depending on the price. Voice of Cards, the demo sort of intrigued me. Huh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks like it's by um, Square Enix. Right. And they've no. been actually doing a, f- a few experiments lately there was another game that came out last year i'm just looking it up it's called dungeon encounters that was a very bare bones jrpg but like the 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 map was very abstracted out i know it had mixed reviews but like they're definitely experimenting with some with some fun concepts over there that i can i can respect that at least that they're yeah square enix is as you know they're the they're the house of jrpgs (laughs) uh they're they're actually two houses of jrpgs from ages past and they, they sort of made the definitive jrpg which is dragon quest which i know that you have some intimate knowledge of playing uh, i think it's 11 right the one on xbox or game pass so they definitely know their stuff but you could say you know a lot of companies could get really stale by just pumping out the same old franchises year after year and you could argue that some of their mainline franchises have gotten a little bit stale but it's nice to see them investing in these quirky side projects. Yes, exactly. Because that builds up the talent that lets people experiment and can potentially create a successful series 
of their own, kind of like um, like the Bravely Default series, for instance, or they're heading off into these tactical RPGs like, I think Triangle Strategy is them, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're doing some cool stuff, so... Actually, I hope Bravely Default is Square Enix. I could be totally yeah, it wrong. is. I, was, I just saw it when I was, when I was checking Steam just now. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, 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 it sounds like they're mixed results, but I, I do respect that they're giving time and, and resources to these you know, quirk, quirky small scale games. Yeah, like I, I say often, I'd like to. I'd rather see people try stuff out than play it safe all the time. Absolutely. Sure. Well, I think so. We should probably uh, get, move on over to the the main feature. Yeah, that's right. So what is the uh, the game that we're talking about today, Daniel? Well, after all that video game talk, uh, we're going, uh, we are going to talk about a board game. <laughs> that is, uh, and, and we're, going, we're going way back too. So but both in, both in theme and in the board game industry, but that is Tigris and Euphrates, uh, classic from Rainer Knizia, the good doctor, uh, originally released in 1997. So was that 25 years? It's 25 yeah. years. Wow. Uh, but there, there have been a few editions over the years that I'm sure we'll get into a little later. It's a tried and true classic. Uh, one that I, I must admit I hadn't tried until just this past uh, few weeks. Of course, it's new on Board Game Arena and a pretty solid implementation too. There's a whole number of artists for this new edition from the Z-Man imprint, um, which is still under Fantasy Flight, which is under Asmodee. So it's, it's all one company now anyway. Yeah, it was, I think it was it was Fantasy Flight. They, they, bri- they briefly had a Euro Classic line right. uh, that... That didn't last very long, unfortunately, uh, so that they're no longer available. Yeah, and of course, it could be under a different publisher like um, in different regions like Hans and Gluck. Uh, there's a whole bunch. But yeah, it should be fairly widely available still, I think, or maybe it's not. I don't know what the publishing status of it is. Uh, well, unfortunately, I mean, it was as of a couple of years ago. It was actually picked up by Grail Games, I think an Australian publishing house. They actually rethemed it and changed, tweaked it a little bit under the name Yellow and Yangtze. So moving from um, Mesopotamia to China. And there were some mechanical changes. I believe it moved from like square tiles to hexes and a few rule changes, but it was largely the same game. Unfortunately, there has been a bit of a dispute, I believe, with royalties. And so that's now no, no longer available either. But there are rumblings that there are other publishers looking to pick it up. Yeah, I, I think classics like this will have periods of uh, going out of publishing, but uh, they, they will always rise like phoenixes from the ashes if they're truly worthy. And it seems like many people believe this one is. I think that covers a lot of the background. Um, what kind of game is this, would you say, uh, Daniel? Well, I want to go in very briefly with my expectations because I, I mean, this game has been around for a long time, way, way before I was into board games at all. And I remember, what, 10 years ago when I was still back in Australia, um, a couple of my gaming friends out there were quite into this. And I, I vaguely recall them playing it, but I, I never sort of really saw it in action. And I was under the impression that it was much more involved game. I think I think it's partly seeing the, um, the fantasy flight... Yeah, the Fantasy Flight um, name on the box, and you, you have the like they're known for those big thematic games with lots of cards and pieces and and dice and everything. And so I, I felt like it was much more thematic game 
uh, with a lot more moving parts. And so right. trying it now, I was surprised to find that it's a very abstract game. It's still, it's still quite complex in, in its strategy, but the actual mechanics are quite simple and, and abstracted. But then re- realizing it was, ab- it was an abstract game, I was still surprised yet again to see some of the, the nuance that goes into like how involved this game can be. Yeah, I think I felt pretty much like you. I was very intimidated sort of by the legend of this game. (laughs) And uh, it does sort of look imposing with the, uh, you know, the very Hammurabi type character on the, on the front of the, of the, of the new, very attractive box, uh, by the way, of the latest edition. I like that really blue and gold color that that's, um, that's gracing the cover there. It is truly abstract, but one that gives you a true sense of at the very least of place, you know, like the rivers are critical to how the board is laid out in, in a similar sense to how it is in Terra Mystica, the water sort of breaks up the land pieces and it just wouldn't be the same game without it. So the two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates, the namesakes are there. Otherwise it's a very abstract and uh, tile laying game. You yourself, each player has four uniquely shaped leader pieces in four different colors. So you, you don't yourself play one color. You play four different colors matching the four different types of tiles that are randomly pulled from a bag. Uh, the tiles are are attractive, but essentially they could just be simple colored chits mm-hmm. from a bag if it came down to it. You just they're need sti- to they're stylized, but yeah, fairly, fairly straightforward, yeah. just colored Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're as good as you could make tiles like this. Maybe if they were, I don't know, I guess a, a deluxified version if this game was coming out new uh, today would be like those, um, what is it? And uh, not um, azul type glass tiles would go over really well. I oh, that the acrylic tokens. Yeah. Yeah. Those would be so beautiful. But this game is, is all about direct conflict, which is not really a style of game that you and I have played um, a lot of in board games. I mean, there's conflict in games like Rising Sun or other games that we've played, but you can sort of muddy those with the engine building or the sort of like empire exactly, building yeah. goals and, and, and point scoring methods. This game is all about sniping and attacking and breaking apart and sort of leveraging what other people are doing. So that style of game is definitely a, a change for me and is definitely sort of built into the nature of this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't go for many direct conflict games. We tend to prefer, you know, you know, the worker placement style of, of player interaction. Uh, you get in each other's way, but don't interfere too much, I guess. And similarly, I, I've never been a huge fan of abstract games uh, historically. Like uh, chess, obviously, is, is the is the big one that I've always struggled with. Between, like, I, I, I like the game, but I've never really had a great experience with it between like uh, skill discrepancy and just the the need to have to plan multiple turns in advance. And a lot of abstract games can feel that way. Like you have to be this master tr- strategist to to see all the moving pieces so so far in advance to really play well. And right. th- th- this does feel a little bit like that at first, but there are a few 
sort of quirks that actually pull it away from that direction. I mean, notably, the tokens that you have, you always have six tokens. Like Of the four colors, you have six tokens randomly from the bag, but they're kept behind your screen. You have like a little player screen. So you don't know exactly what everyone else has. And you're similarly, your options moment to moment are going to be a little bit dictated by what colors you have. So there's always, it's, it's not a deterministic game entirely. There's yeah. always a little bit of uncertainty. That's right. It's not a perfect information game whatsoever. It's not nearly as clean and as neat as something like chess or Go. Go is one of my favorite uh, abstract strategy games because it's so so very clean. I mean, unlike chess, the board starts out empty and the, the board state is always the same in every single game of Go you play unless you happen to play with a handicap. Uh, like that, Tigers and Euphrates starts out the same way. Now, there, I believe there's two sides, two optional sides, but each of those sides of the board you can play with set up are, are fixed essentially. And what does vary, like you said, is the hand of cards you draw at the beginning of the game. And every turn thereafter, you draw up to six tiles and you can't essentially control what colors of tiles you receive. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Go. That, that actually came to mind as well. I, I've never played the game, but having seen like I have a vague awareness of it. Like I'm gonna shut up and sit down. Did a big review review of it uh, a year or so ago. But the way the the game sprawls across the board is quite similar to this. I feel you, you have. So I, I guess we should get into a little more specific to how you actually play these tiles. You you have on your turn you only have two two actions to play either the, these colored tiles or your corresponding leader token onto the board and you're trying to build out little kingdoms uh and you you mean you can have one big kingdom little lots of little ones you can place anywhere on the board uh there there are no real limitations other than that like leaders have to go next to a red tile i think and like only blue tiles can go on the river but otherwise there's not many restrictions as to actual placement so it's pretty open-ended and so you're trying to build out your little corner of the map. And especially in a, in a three or four player game, you've got these multiple kingdoms growing and expanding, inevitably are going to come together and meet. And that's where this game really, <laughs> really explodes. Um, like the, the, these colored tiles in place on the map don't belong to anyone. Only if you have your leader connected to that colored tile, do you have, do you have any, any agency over it? Like, it's very much a shared control game, which isn't something we've seen much, but it's starting to come back into vogue. Yeah, it's all up for grabs, essentially. Yeah. At any moment, what you've built up can be snatched away from you, and you have to know that and be comfortable with that coming into this game. And I think probably the listeners who are, are hearing this right now know if they're that type of person or not. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of different ways you can force conflict. I mean, you can you can have these two growing kingdoms that that come together, and then you sort of have to fight. For, any matching colored leaders have to fight for control, or you can just like parachute your leader directly from your hand onto someone else's kingdom and have a revolt that that works a little differently to the other type of battles so there's a few different ways you can force conflict in this game and you might might be like your kingdom might be set out to defend against one type quite well but it's very hard to cover your bases against both simultaneously you said that this is a large sprawling map and you're right i just counted them there's 
11 uh, by 16 spaces, which uh, adds up to 176 <laughs> squares. So it's much more similar to the size of a, a Go board than it is to a chess board. Mm. And as a result, you're allowed to play spaced out from each other. And you can avoid conflict to a degree. I mean, you can't be ever 100% protected from being attacked, but you can avoid conflict on your own turn if you so desire. And other players may decide to leave you alone in your own little corner, especially if you play a multiplayer as in more than two players, which you certainly cannot do in a game like chess or Go. Yeah, I mean, you certainly could turtle up and play it very defensively. Um, you can sort of, because the, the red tiles basically provide defense from these revolts. You can prov- you make, it, it can be quite fun making these little defensive grids of, of these red tiles, like gradually spreading across the map. But like, it's going to be a very slow and steady way of playing. Like once that's set up, there's not really much for you to do. Like outside of like, the conflict in this game is is the game. I, I feel like it's not like just playing defensively isn't going to be the best time. <laughs> like you really want to engage with with uh, with that conflict to, to get the most out of this game. Yeah, that said, you can always build out two different areas of the board or even three different areas of the board simultaneously. So you might be building kind of peaceful regions while you have a very active and conflicted area and another part of the map at the same time. So I think there's the possibility uh, of both in this game. Yeah, I guess you've also got the monuments, I guess, that you can, like, if, if you have a, a two by two grid of the same color of tiles, you turn it into a monument that um, helps you collect more resources. But at the same time, that, that takes away from your, like the stre- your actual military strength in an area. So that can be, like, once, once you've, you have to sort of set yourself up before you, put down a monument otherwise someone else is just going to come in and and take it from you which i may have just done in one of our games the monuments come i think there's six of them and each of them have two different colors so if i understand it correctly when a monument is placed only you know one instance of that combination of two colors can ever be placed and it can't be moved thereafter and it grants one point to a contiguously connected leader of one of those two colors at the end of every turn. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the end of your turn, it would provide you with that many points in those colors if you happen to control those colors. Yes, and that's that's where I'm going to take this, is what is the actual aim of this game? In that basically, whenever you're playing a tile... Uh, into a kingdom where you have a leader of that color, you're getting a a, a chit, a scoring chit, basically for that color. So you're going to have a pool of of these chits for each of the four colors. The trick being, at the end of the game, your score is the lowest of those. So you oh, need to be working. <laughs> you need to be building up these these four colors equally. You can't just go all in on black. Uh, and that, that's, I mean, that's another thing that um, it feels like has, has come back in vogue recently. Like a few games have have been pl- playing with variants of that. I know, I think it's Arc Nova does something similar where you have score tracks and you you use the lowest or something. Uh, Merchant of the Dark Road 
uh, that yeah. I've been playing recently. Daniel himself has done that so many times, though. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's probably several examples, but the one that's jumping out to me right now is, is a little abstract strategy game that uh, my wife and I would play called Ingenious. It has to do with placing these sort of double-ended hexagonal dominoes. And you'd gain uh, points based off of the colors uh, uh, touching the piece that you just put down. But suffice it to say, there's six different colors, and you score the highest number of all six colors you've achieved. So exactly the same scoring limitation, which is classic Knizia. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fun to go back and see like these aren't new ideas. These have been uh, sitting around in, in, in the in, in the board game history for quite some time, and now uh, more recent designers are sort of digging them up and then re- rejuvenating them in more modern games. So that is, a, it is a, a cool little twist. It, it can be a little hard to tr- keep track of because, I mean, of, you, you know what you have, but you don't know what everyone else has. So bo- both your tiles for placing onto the board and the scoring chits are kept secret. So you don't really know what everyone else has and like, so you, you don't know who the who necessarily the leader is. If like one player is like missing out on a particular color, especially playing asynchronously, like we have, like I have largely have been at least on on BGA, it's a little hard to keep in mind. Oh, Matt is is hasn't got many blue tiles that I might be more uh, on the ball with in a real time game, or sitting at actual table at least might be more clear. Where that, yeah, uh, is certainly. Uh, well, this game, you're right. It it is uh, confusing to keep the score of, and <laughs> you d- generally have to do a real lot of manual accounting each turn. Mm. You have to do a lot of accounting in your head before you choose to take an action on your turn. For instance, you have to, you know, the ramifications of placing your leader adjacent to this or adjacent to that, or the tile connected to this network of, of uh, contiguously connected tiles. And then you have to factor in you, basically the number of points that you'd be collecting by manually eyeballing every matching tile of a certain color and see what it connects to. So you have to do a lot of manual, basically, uh, bookkeeping in this game. And it's aided quite a bit by digital platforms like Board game arena. Yeah, that, that is the upside of playing there. That a lot of that is done for you, especially the, the knowing the strength of your kingdoms or, or of your leaders within that kingdom. It's just automatically listed there. You don't have to count out how many green tiles do I have, how many green tiles does my opponent have, and it, it, it's a lot more streamlined in that sense, at least. Yeah, in board game arena, I'm looking at it on on screen right now, and I have a you know I have a, a red piece in this particularly largely sprawling kingdom, and it has a little number six overlay over top of it and in the real game clearly that digital number six is not present there you have to eyeball the region and calculate it and confirm it each and every time and that's i think the hallmark of an older game design Uh, i'm not saying it's negative it's just that that sort of tedium has been largely shied away from in newer games Uh, you have a lot of newer games even a relatively old one like eclipse has a lot of that accounting built in from a player board and and the clever way of pulling one chit from one space and placing it somewhere else reveals a number elsewhere on a board that gives you the instant readout, right? 
Yeah, the, I mean, that's the downside to the the shared tokens. It's a cool it's a cool concept. Uh, it's something that I've been quite into lately is this idea of shared components in a game, but it does mean it's hard to read the board state at a glance. You can't just gl- say, okay, where are all the green tiles? They belong to me. It's like, okay, which which green tiles are mine? Which belong to you? Which belong to this other player? Um, it's it's not particularly intuitive to read. Uh, you have to yeah. really f- focus. And, and I, I, I imagine after, if you're playing this game a lot, then you know you start to know what to look for basically, but it's not, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that it's insurmountable. It's just a little chore that adds up over every, each and every time that you have to calculate it, which happens to be multiple times per turn, every turn, uh, every player's turn. And it gets uh, all the more challenging when you start uh, dividing some of these large sprawling kingdoms with uh, these, um, what are they called? Calamity? Uh, uh, catastrophe, I think. Catastrophe. What, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A big bad thing. <laughs> As the, what is it, the folly down boy, like Matt Lees calls him. There is a lot of difficulty in readability for this game. I would argue that it's quite confusing and unintuitive. A couple of more reasons why it's, it's uh, confusing is that, and this is an unavoidable thing, I'm, I'm not saying that I have some magic fix for this. I'm just saying this is baked into the design, is that you don't control a color. You never control a color. You only control pieces of color. You control four pieces, one of each of the four colors. So you have, I think they're called a king, a priest, and a something, and a something. No one knows what they're called unless you check the rule book. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> it's all very arbitrary, isn't it? Right. Everyone has a unique black, blue, red, and green piece in a certain shape. And the shape that you share, like bull's horns or pots, uh, that means that that's, that's your piece. So you got to keep a keen eye on the piece of the matching color. And it, it's a nicely uh, crafted piece in the game. So in terms of design or uh, uh, component quality, uh, they're, they're plastic, they're uh, hand-carved. They look pretty nice, actually. I don't particularly love those kind of plasticky parts myself. I sort of wish that they were wood, but certainly the, the monuments in their very sort of intricate kind of step ziggurat s- style designing, I don't think you could have done it any other way other than plastic, or otherwise they would have been very, very simplified. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I was just thinking what I, what I really should have done before now is look up Yellow and Youngsi to see how, if it modernized that design and readability at all. I mean, at a glance, it, it's still kind of a mess of colors, but they are all wooden pieces. Uh, and I, I believe the, the monuments equivalent are all just one color, and they're all just w- wooden towers for example so that's a, oh, that's a slightly more streamlined version and then I, I, I have been thinking that I, I i do i do like this game i do think it could do just to be a little bit simpler there's just a little bit too much complexity going on for the amount of upkeep and and sort of accounting as, as you put it and for me it's all about like readability right like there's complex games like Eclipse, I've mentioned before, Small World is actually has a lot of similarities to this game, but they're a lot more readable. Like in Small World, all you have to say is Where are my piece of cardboard <laughs> adds one power to a region. Yeah. Right? Like it's as easy as that. 
and then you only roll a die on the last space that you resolve on each turn. So it's very, very readable, even though there's a lot going on with all the different factions and their special abilities, it's it's manageable because the scope of it is a lot smaller. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm very curious to try Yellow and Yangtze now. Unfortunately, as I said, that's out of print, but there will be another edition, edition at some point. Um, so I'm curious to see what this, this game does. I think it, it could easily be tweaked enough with a bit more readability, a bit more um, intuitiveness to be quite playable. I, I do like it as it is. I just, my main concern is that if you, if you had a dedicated group that was playing this regularly, you'd, you'd know what to look for. You'd be able to you'd get used to the, the, the sort of uh, pace of the game and get, get quite you get better at, at, at reading the game, basically. But as it is, it's not really the game you can just pull out and dump in front of a bunch of new players. It yeah. takes a couple of games to figure out what the sort of range of strategies is, what the rules are, are quite sort of, it can be a little bit muddy on first glance. And skill disparity can still be an issue here. I know, I know when, when, we, when we first played it, like it felt like I had a slightly better grok on it than you did. And I think you had a pretty bad time with that with that, that time. And I mean, it wasn't even like I was sort of beating you in every conflict. And I mean, that wasn't fun for me either. <laughs> it was just sort oh, of yeah, everything that, you do, I was just countering it instantly. <laughs> I, I didn't feel bad about that because I actually had not read the rules at that point. So <laughs> I, I wasn't butthurt about that particular <laughs> exchange. I was just trying to mess around and see if it came together. Clearly, I didn't put in my homework that no, time No, it's not, it's not the game you can just intuit by poking at the pieces. <laughs> no, you certainly cannot. And, you know, I would argue that you, you could intuit uh, a game of, like, Small World, because it is, is that much more streamlined, uh, it, but still has a great deal of strategic depth. Yeah, I mean, stream, uh, Small World has more going on. It's a more complicated game, but it's more, it's more intuitive that the theme goes a long way to helping you understand what you're doing, I think, as opposed to this that's just a muddle of colors. Yeah, there's fewer regions. You know who you're controlling. The, the basic rules are simple. The complexity of that game comes from the combination of the ingoing and outgoing character factions that you happen to be playing. That's a key difference there. Other things that are confusing about this game is the terminology, like mm. kingdom versus region, war versus revolt. That's something I had to rely on you quite a bit. You know, I sort of had to talk out my turn and play it off of you and be like, this is how it works, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the leaders are what, king, king, priest, merchant or trader or something i think but like priest is red like red red is largely the military color but the leader is the priest like you think it should be general or something like it's all very arbitrary what the names of the leaders and the the, the right and the king is just a black pot if you play the pot (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. yeah. you you definitely you you feel like you're in the ancient world you feel like you're in a, a region filled with rivers and vast open spaces and and ancient monuments, but you don't feel like any particular person. I don't feel like Hammurabi. I don't feel like the Mesopotamians. I don't feel like this particular group of people. I just feel like the pots, you know, which doesn't make me feel great or quite transported to a different time when I play this game. I feel like I'm feel like I'm playing <laughs> a, a spreadsheet in in graphical form. Yeah, I always feel like it should should just be 
in an abstract game. Like just take either take out the theme entirely, or put a little more effort into actually integrating it with that theme. <laughs> At the moment, it's just it's just muddying the waters. <laughs> yeah, when you're like laser focused and zoomed into like one conflict then it gets kind of exciting because it's like in this, you know, six by six square region, it's very, very readable what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where the most exciting parts of the game come in is when, you know, you want to, you want to see how this, basically this knife fight in a phone booth (laughs) goes, you you know, it's, you got a limited amount of space, especially when you butt up against a river. And since you're limited to one or two actions, per turn it's a little tense to see which way a certain conflict is going to go yeah i mean i should, I should say it feels like we're being a little negative on it but i to, to bring it back i i do really like the strategy in this and like the moment like when it comes to actual conflict it can be quite thrilling seeing those play out i mean you because like two kingdoms meet the, the the two leaders of light colors have to compare their strength but you can provide support from your hand Right. So if you've got matching tiles in hand, you can add to, you can add those to increase your strength, and so you don't know exactly what your opponent has. So, I mean, if you, and then defender wins ties, so yes. you can. And it's, it's a literal auction, like yes. <laughs> Renner Knizia often does in his very very famous auctioning games, like Modern Art. It's an auction based on hidden information you don't know just how much of this particular resource the other guy has. So they might have a lot of red, they might not. (laughs) So you are sort of bluffing, you're sort of gambling. And that that part of it, when it comes down to it, is is exciting. I, I will say that. Yeah, I mean, the, you said defense wins ties, but the winner gets to choose which order you resolve the combats in. So, I mean, by, by if, if you force the blue... Uh, warfare first that you, that you that you that you're strong in you might be able to remove enough tiles from the board that you don't even have to fight in black that you're weak in so there's some upsides downsides to whether you're going on the on the offensive or defensive i mean it's some really clever things you can do with like say you have a handful of, of green but you're not confident with what the opponent's doing what what they what they have in their hand you could you can basically pull, pull your kingdom just close enough to the other to your opponent and bait them into attacking you, knowing you have the support in your hand. You can force two other, like if you're playing three or four players, you can force two other players to fight and then walk in just to the remnants of, of their battlefield. Basically, there's a lot of ways this this like with a simple rule set, it can play out in a, in a wide variety of ways how you approach the the, the conflicts. In my build-up in playing this game, I wish I had played more multiplayer games. Mm. The more recent ones I've been playing have been two-player, which has a very different but enjoyable rhythm to it. But it's a totally different beast from a, a, a multiplayer game. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of key differences in multiplayer versus two-player. Like there's uh, no It's much more dynamic, though, the way the conflicts push and pull against each other and a lot more opportunism like opportunism you're pushing against each other so quickly 
the like one one person like two people fight and so then you, you which opens up an availability for you to walk in so there's quite a bit of opportunity oh, oh, sure. in, in how yeah, this plays like, out especially in 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 a full play game yeah the outcomes and the types of interactions are going to be different but the rules are the same exactly yes yeah a very different dynamic on the player interaction front because uh, especially like it, it, it can it can um, make up for a bit of the skill disparity if like if one player is particularly doing particularly well the others consider getting up on them a little bit. Though at the same time, because you don't know exactly how well everyone is doing, so the perceived leader might not necessarily be true. <laughs> right. Overall, I think what I regret the most about my early plays of this game is, is first of all, I didn't do my homework. I didn't read, <laughs> read the rules until far too late. But I guess coming into this game, I was under a different understanding, assumption of what it was going to be. Uh, I really thought it was going to be one of those games where, you know, you built up an empire and at the end of the game, you just compared uh, how big you've built mm. up sort of like a seven wonders or I don't know, like a, a another type of Civ game. And you just say, Hey, these are my great works. Behold all ye <laughs> like, like Ozymandias uh, beholds the great kingdom that I've built and despair. And whoa. I was totally under a misapprehension there. There really is no engine building in this game. It's it's purely about tactics. There is strategy. It's very tactical. You know, basically you're fighting on the edge of three or four points here in every turn. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right? Like if you can get one more point than the other guy every turn, like that's what you're trying to do is you're not turtling up for 15 turns so that you can do a big blowout on turn 16. It's not really about that. I I mean, I suppose you could build up a scenario like that, but you better be building up points every step along the way. uh, I mean, in that that way that you, because you only scored lowest, it does mean that the end game tends to be pretty close as well. I mean, that last game that we played together, it Mm -hmm. came down to the second tiebreaker. We had to like compare off the third, the third, like, a second highest Cullen score was we were matched on the on the lowest two. That's right, and that sort of that sort of made me feel better about my bad performance, but it also <laughs> made me feel worse about the game because I thought I was making a lot of blunders. Like I made some straight up yeah, but blunders in my <laughs> first two or three turns, and it, it ended up coming out in, in the wash. Like, and part of that was as a, as I. Um, I mentioned I, I went that entire game or mo- like it was only like three quarters throughout the game before I saw a single green tile. So I had no way of get of scoring in green, which means my score is zero. And, and unless I can find a way to score some green, that ended up being stealing one of your monuments, basically. <laughs> yeah. You are definitely beholden to the hand of tiles that you draw in this game. Since you, you know, you only have six ever. Uh, at any any given time, and so to continuing on from what what I said about my misapprehension is, I thought you were building up, you're building up, you're building up, and that's not what this game is. Is like you're you're building up until you get knocked down, and then when you get knocked down, you have to get back up again, like the old song goes. <laughs> um, and when you're playing multiplayer, you're going to get beat down by multiple parties, so. <laughs> you won't, Basically, don't grow too attached no. to what you're building, is what I'm saying. It's a sort of game, especially after a four-player game, I'd love to see a time-lapse 
of how this plays sure. out and the, evolve, the 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 kingdoms rising and falling. I think that would look pretty cool. And like it, it, it is, it, 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 I mean, it's it's a little slow playing playing async, but it, it does look cool seeing the evolving board state and as as the kingdoms move across the board. So I, I do I do find that a, a, a fun experience. I do I do like this game. I just don't know that it's really is a place for it to get played <laughs> at least in my group i don't know that it's going to um get to the table anytime soon i mean apart from the fact i don't have a copy it's very hard to find i do i do want to check out the our local board game cafe has a copy so i'd love to meet up there sometime and play it like play the physical copy and see how that works actually plonking these tiles down whether it helps sort of visualize the information yeah that that could be very true this is one of those games that i've only played digitally and there are some things that might be a little bit more exciting or even more potentially intuitive by placing the the tiles uh, physically. Um, for instance, there's this one um, issue that we sort of argued about <laughs> when resolving the treasure selection. Mm, yes. Remember, yeah. you were reading the rule book and it said, look for the special tile, look for the special tile. And we were like, where's the special tile? And do you know what it is? It's like a tiny border around the edge or there's something underneath it is there, I guess. <laughs> so you can only see the special tile underneath the cardboard chits that are put down. Yeah. So in, in, whenever you play it in Board Game Arena, you never, ever see this tile. <laughs> I think if you zoom Except in, you can that. see a tiny outline around the edge, but yeah. It's, right. It's... So basically, uh, you know, this would also affect other players who maybe this is your first time playing and then the owner of the game set it up. Like unless they had specifically pointed it out to you, you wouldn't know that what it amounts to is essentially if you have the choice between two treasures to claim, you have to choose one of the ones that's closest to the corners. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially that was that weird tile that you, you and I noticed, you know, we saw that like Phoenix or Sphinx looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. what the special tile is. You only ever see it under. Yeah. So there's, <laughs> see, there's some not, confusing like, things. I mean, that doesn't change. Like, I could easily figure out which tile, which treasure I need to take this by trial and error. But just that point of confusion makes you think, what am I, what am I not getting about this game? It just, just a little bit of friction just makes, it just makes it a little bit less unintuitive and, and hard to trap your head around i guess but I, yeah. do, I do like the game uh i just it's just not something that's going to see regular play i do want to see a modern retelling there's a there's a huge number of, of reiner games being remade they just a couple of days ago announced zoo vardis a remake of an old game called quo vardis i believe ra got one uh a, a shiny new remake i think it might have just been on kickstarter i don't think it's even come out yet so there's it's quite a few of these getting big modern adaptations with like with lovely sort of graphic design so i'd really love to see this get one of those treatments yeah you said you like this game listeners can probably tell from my (laughs) uh, statements that i did not enjoy this game i really dreaded every time i had to take a turn in this game maybe i got a bad taste in my mouth from my admittedly mistaken preconceptions of what i was getting into but even as i learned the rules or half learned the rules I, I I found more reasons why I didn't enjoy it. I think there's a lot of unintuitive design. I think the the pieces don't help. Uh, there's a lot of rules that you just have to know that are not spelled out in in very clever ways, like the whole you know who gets the treasure, 
in a conflict, uh, you could only get it if you have a green leader involved. And, you know, that's, that's not obvious unless you know what the green piece represents. And you don't know what it represents because it just looks <laughs> like a pot if you're the pot guys. So uh-huh. all the pieces look the same. They look identical, but you're just supposed to know that they're related to collecting treasure. Yeah, all of these sort of things would be obvious to a player that's played it more than once or twice. It would also be obvious to a player who paid attention to it's a very... The same as saying you just have to know that the knight in chess moves in an L shape. Like, it, it makes no sense that it moves like that um, unless... But once well, <laughs> except that the knight looks like a knight as opposed to just a green... but it's been the familiarity with the game it's the the game you're supposed to play a hundred times and then just know like (laughs) ingrained that knowledge into you this is back again back in 97 when there weren't a hundred games coming out every week yeah but but (laughs) but my but my same point which harkens back to something we said earlier is that if i'm going to play an abstract strategy i'd rather play a game like go Mm. where there's only two types of pieces I know exactly which pieces I control and the same rules apply across the entire board space. And it's all about managing the flow of the battle as opposed to remembering which of these multiple obtuse and and intuitive rules apply in this situation. That's fair. No, I I totally get that. And I I do think that this is in a weird middle ground between a true abstract game in a more thematic conflict game. And I'd like to, to move a little bit more in one direction or the other. Sure. Um, but I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very curious to see if I can track down Yellow and Yangtze. Uh, otherwise, I'll uh, stay tuned for a, a new edition. Yeah, maybe Yangtze smooths out some of those issues that I found and brings it into a, a, a new direction. Yeah, I think there's, there's clearly some strong bones here. I, I'm not saying that no one would enjoy this game. I'm just saying I certainly don't. <laughs> but like you said, just tipped one degree or five degrees closer in one or the other direction, it could feel like a fresh new game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to at least keep my keep this game fresh in my mind to be able to, to play it if the opportunity arrives. I mean, if anyone wants to play me on Board Game Arena, <laughs> feel free to invite me to a game. I am Board Game Feast on, on Board Game Arena. Always open for an async game at the very least. Yeah, maybe I will sign myself up for a little bit more punishment and do <laughs> one more real-time multiplayer game with yourself and maybe one or two of our pals. Yeah, well, we we're discussing potentially maybe doing a stream. We'll we'll we're going to schedule that in. I, I haven't streamed in a, in a month or so with some other equipment, so I'm trying to get back off the ground. So maybe let's try and stream this, and if we can find a third or fourth to join us, that that could be fun. Yeah, we we need to find a real Tigris enthusiast, real <laughs> exactly to to really argue for why why we need to love this game and why it's a true classic. Well, I'll do some digging, see if I can find any uh, any any uh, true fans of this. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I think we covered that one fairly well, or at least we covered two two uh, opinions of the game. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about our next one? Yes. Next, what are we? Uh, what are we? What game. are we covering next week? We're going back to the the digital realm. That's right. We're doing a video game, and uh, we talked about a couple of things, but I think we decided upon 
what was it? Are we going to cover Citizen Sleeper? I think so. Yeah, we've both been playing that game. Uh, I mean, I finished it, but literally just last week they came out with the first in a uh, a, a, a free DLC, basically. So I'm I'm keen to, to jump back into that and see what they've added. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to compare some thoughts. I've played probably three or four hours of that game, so I feel like I'm fairly close. I think it's like a six-hour game, so I, I should certainly be done soon, and I certainly have some opinions about that game. There's some interesting stuff going on in it. Yeah, and some and some great sort of comparisons to, also analogs to board games in there. With all the sort of right, dice yeah, management. it's got dice. And it's, and it's on Game Pass, <laughs> so it's another, another coin in the bucket. Uh, go check Pass. that out if you want to play along. Uh, you've got it's a relatively short game, so you can you can catch up with that and uh, compare your thoughts. Yeah, and it's another sci-fi anti-capitalist game, which happens to be the, the flavor <laughs> Very much of the month. right now. <laughs> That's right. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Do you uh, have any other things you want to promote? Yeah, I mean, on the on the my solo side of things, under board game feast, uh, I've been doing a series on Oath. I've been putting together a, a little themed feast for each of the factions in in, in Oath. Uh, I've literally just today finally cooked the last one of those. I've had a bit of a writer's block and uh, had had some inspiration uh, to jump straight into that. So I'll be posting that in, over the next few days. So stay tuned. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. At, uh, at board game feast and i and i should say I, I i as i mentioned i'm trying to get back into streaming hopefully by the time you're hearing this i have rebooted that <laughs> i i'm planning to to stream some floppy nights from our last episode very nice well i guess we can uh leave it there until our very next episode which should happen uh, sooner than uh the, the last one <laughs> we've had a few delays on, you've been on holiday yeah, I'll, I'll allow you that i went on vacation <laughs> sure I'm back to work, back to reality. Oh, I should say, if you have any uh, questions or comments, uh, you can email us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com or uh, most active on Twitter, on social media. That's right. Reach out to us. Be happy to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, and keep playing some games. Get get those games. (laughs) Have a tasty, balanced diet of games. (laughs) All right. Bye, Mark. Goodbye.